Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good, good. Let me hear you. How you doing? Good. I need to hear you. I need to hear you when I preach. It's not going to work unless I hear you. Okay. So uh, I want to start off with a story. Um, as many of you know, um, I have not always been a, a pastor um, at a church. Um, I've had, you know, one or two jobs over the years. Everybody laughs because they know I've had more than one or two. But one of those jobs um, was uh, I got, I had the privilege to work at a car dealership. Okay? Privilege to work at a car dealership. Now, some of you are thinking, uh, I hate buying a car. It's the worst experience in the world. Um, I had a motto, um, if I can't make it fun for you, uh, please do not buy a car from me. Um, I like to make things fun. If they're not fun, I really just don't want to do them, honestly. Um, I, you know, I, I avoid them at all costs, um, and I try to make everything I do somewhat fun um, in the process. While I was a car salesman, uh, something unexpected uh, happened. Um, you know, often with jobs, there are aspects of the job that you just don't expect. And uh, one of the things that happened to me was it was really a, a cross-cultural experience for me. Um, and, and I had assumed a few things that, you know, there's four or five, uh, I won't say tricks, I'll say methods that people use when buying a car uh, to try to uh, either get a great deal or get one over on the car salesman. Um, but there was one tactic in particular that I was at a loss for. I, I could not, I could not overcome. I couldn't combat. I couldn't, I couldn't compete with. We'll say, um, and that was uh, there are in some cultures. Um, for instance, in America, um, most of America, uh, when just a single man walks into a dealership. Um, and he is looking for a vehicle, and he's got a wedding ring on his hands. Uh, most of us know that there is a great chance that he is not purchasing a car today um, because the real decision maker is, is not there. Um, we also know that he has an out, an automatic out, and that is, well, i got to run it by the wife. Um, Julie and I purchased something this week, and it wasn't overly expensive, but we had to get quoted on it, and I found myself using that expression so I didn't have to make a decision right then and there. Well, I've got to run it by the wife. Uh, you know, we got to see what she says. But um, I want to preface what I'm about to say with, uh, with a statement, and I don't think most of us realize this. I have the utmost respect for individuals who know more than one language, who can physically speak more than one language. And I know there is a tendency, especially when we're, we're younger and we haven't tried to learn another language um, there is a tendency to look at people who have an accent or, um, you know, they may not have been in this country as long as we have as unintelligent or uninformed. That could not be further from the truth. Um, these people are incredibly intelligent. Um, they have learned uh, not only their native tongue, but they've also learned one of the most difficult languages on the face of the earth. Um, and the English teacher is nodding her head uh, up here. Um, it, is, it is a very difficult language to learn. But some of these cultures, when they come in to buy a car, it's not just one person. Sometimes it's not even just one family. Uh, there are a whole group of people that come in to purchase a vehicle. And um, needless to say, uh, we, we would show them the car, and then we would get into the negotiation process. And this is where I was at a severe 
disadvantage was they would begin speaking in their native tongue. I have no idea what they're saying. So I decided that Google Translate was going to be my best friend. And I was going to learn one phrase and one phrase only in their native tongue. And that phrase was, I know what you're saying. And I was going to pick my spot, you know, to when I was going to throw it out there. And I really only had the opportunity to do it maybe three or four times. But it was highly effective. Uh, let me tell you, it was very highly effective. So they would, be, they would be talking in their native tongue, and I would just be sitting at my desk. And, and it's kind of an awkward moment. Um, but there would be a lull in the conversation. And just as soon as that lull happened, I would drop the phrase out there. And the look I would get from all of those individuals was priceless. It was, it was amazement, shock, horror. I, I guarantee you most of the people were probably making fun of me. Uh, they probably weren't talking about the car and the deal. They were just making fun of me. The look, like I had just exposed them of doing something horrible. I will never forget that look, and I would let it hang. Inevitably, there was silence. All talking ceased for at least three seconds. And then I would break my smile, and I would say, I'm joking. That's all I know how to say. And I'd get a nervous laugh. Like, ha, ha. And eventually, eventually they, they realized that I, I really did not know their language. Um, I really did not understand uh, what they were saying. But I had a theory, which goes back to who I am. If I can make you laugh, I can sell you a car. And all four, three or four of those individuals that I threw this phrase out to, they bought a car. And guess what those three or four individuals did? They went home and they told three or four more individuals and they came and bought a car. And those individuals, when they would come back in, you know, they'd pull me aside and they'd say, hey, are you gonna, are you gonna do it? Are you gonna? I said, ah, it's lost its effect. It's lost its effect. It's no longer effective. Now that's a humorous story. We're going to talk about a little bit of a deeper topic this morning. And it's a topic that in um, most churches like ours, we, we tend to shy away from a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, and many of you who are familiar with the book of Acts probably know where we're going to start with this. Um, but I need, to, I need to give you a disclaimer first. Uh, first and foremost, this sermon this morning is not going to be an exhaustive study of the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? We, we got to get out of here at some point today, and literally we could spend days talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, we are going to attempt to look at Acts chapter 2 and see what Acts chapter 2 actually has to say about what the Holy Spirit does for us. Acts chapter 2 can basically be broken down into three parts. Um, and again, I'm going to take a couple of plays from uh, our, our pastor here, and I'm going to use some alliteration. But we're going to see the Spirit, 
then we're going to see the sermon, and then we're going to see the saved. So my first disclaimer is this is not going to be an all-encompassing study of the, uh, the Holy Spirit. My second disclaimer is there's certain reasons why this passage of Scripture might be a little difficult for us, um, a little scary for us. Um, this sermon is not meant to divide in any way. Um, I don't believe Acts chapter 2 is meant to divide in any way. Uh, human beings over the years have uh, had great theological uh, debates and doctrines over the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does today. We first and foremost are going to look at what it did on Pentecost, on this day. What actually happened in the lives of individuals who trusted Jesus Christ and how the Spirit worked through them. And hopefully we are going to see some encouragement of how the Spirit can work through us today. So our big idea for today, get ready if you're a note taker. I am not a note taker, but if you're a note taker, you're ready. The Holy Spirit has the power to inspire. It has the power to interpret. He has the power to include, indict, And he also has the power to indwell. All ins. Stephen's so proud of me right now. Now, all ins, but we're going to see all of these play out in Acts chapter 2. Now, it is going to be interactive. There is going to be a large section where I ask you guys questions. Um, We are going to stay mostly in this text. We're going to go to other texts to support it. And I promise you, we're only going to take one minor rabbit trail in the middle here. But... Let us get started here in Acts chapter 2, in verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So, some easy questions that we have to uh, ask is, um, what is Pentecost? Um, Pentecost was basically a, uh, it was a festival. It was one of the big three festivals that... Uh, the Israelites had. Um, It was 50 days after Passover. That's what the word Pentecost means. Pentecost. It means 50 days. 50 days after Passover, pilgrims would come back into the city and celebrate this festival to the Lord. They were all together in one place. But we have to ask, who is they? They are the disciples. There is some uh, debate over how many are there. What I will tell you is this. There's at least 11 there. And there could be as many as 120 there in Jerusalem in this place together. And we learn that in Acts chapter 1. It actually numbers them at 120. So it could be as little as 11. It could be as many as 120. Why are they together in one place? Well, we'll turn back to Acts chapter 1. In verse 4, it says, While they were, uh, I'm sorry, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John the Baptist, uh, I'm sorry, for John the Baptist, John baptized with water, and I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Many days from now. 
So we say, why? Why are they together? Why aren't they doing things? Well, Jesus said, listen, stay. Stay put. And they obeyed. Jesus adds here, he said, John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. John adds something that that Jesus doesn't add here. What What does John also say that you're going to be baptized by? Fire, right? And there's much debate over that. But we are going to see fire in a moment. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So we're introduced to another character here. We're introduced to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the scene and it says he comes as what? A mighty rushing wind. How many of you guys have ever seen uh, a news report of a, uh, a tornado down south? You guys ever see a news report of a tornado? Okay, they interview people, right? Um, there's usually one thing that they say, inevitably. They could not live within 300 miles of this contraption. But there is a phrase that those southern people with their great accent like to say when they say what it sounded like. What do people often say that a tornado sounds like? Train. A train. That's right. Sounds like a train. I mean, it sounded like a train coming through my front window. There's a great noise. A great wind. The Holy Spirit is often referred to as wind, breath. In the Old Testament in particular, it's referred to as a wind or breath. It's something that cannot be seen, but it can be felt. There is a movement to the Spirit. There is an energy that the Spirit has. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first and foremost, he's a person. The Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit speaks. He moves. He acts. He does things by the power of God. He is a person. But secondly, and most importantly, the Holy Spirit is God. In John chapter 14, which we read this morning, which Rob read for us this morning, Jesus says that he is going to send another helper. That word another there carries with it the connotation of being of the same kind. Of the same kind. Jesus is saying, listen, someone just like me, of the same kind as I am, God is going to be sent to you, a helper. He goes on. John goes on while Jesus is speaking, and and he's recording here. He not only says that, but in verse 26, he gives us great news. He says, not only will this be a helper, but this individual 
will teach you. Will teach and instruct you. See, during the time of Jesus, if you wanted to learn about the scriptures, you followed a rabbi. The early apostles, the the first apostles here, when they were called by Jesus, their families rejoiced. Oh, my son is going to be a rabbi. He's going to follow a great teacher and he is going to learn. Jesus says here, listen, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. I am going to send you a helper. And guess what? That helper is a teacher. You don't need a man to follow around to teach you. You will have the greatest teacher ever. You will have the Holy Spirit. How else do we know that the Holy Spirit is fully God? Well, the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, go. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit isn't fully God, why include him in that list? Why? I want you to do a little exercise with me this morning. Only if you believe this to be true, you can repeat after me. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I want you all to do me a favor in the future. And this is not a, uh, this is more of a preference for me. Um, in my presence, at least. I had a teacher in, in high school uh, who had a bunch of preferences. Okay? There, were, there were things that people would say that he would get frustrated with. Um, and one of them was the phrase, my Bible. Well, my Bible says. Well, my Bible says this. My Bi-. Well, so, so does mine, he would say. Is your Bible different than my Bible? It's not your Bible. He would, he would you know, just go off on these rants here uh, about little things. One of my rants is, I would like to stop referring to the Holy Spirit as the third member of the Trinity. I think that might help us. I think that might elevate the Holy Spirit in our minds. Now, none of us would say, I hope, that he is third in position. They are all equal. They are all God. They are all powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. One is not less than the other. They are God. This is one of the great mysteries of our faith. That these three persons exist in one. In one being. We learn here at the end of verse 4 that the Spirit gave them utterances. The Spirit gave them utterances. And this is our first point here. Our first point today 
is that the Spirit inspires believers. The Spirit inspires believers in Christ. The Holy Spirit didn't just come and give the first disciples power. He didn't just give them a really cool trick in the ability to um, speak different languages. That wasn't, it wasn't like what I did, okay? It wasn't like what I did at the car dealership where I somehow learned a phrase or whatever. The Spirit not only gave them the ability to speak different languages here, He also gave them the words to say. The Holy Spirit gave the first disciples the words to say. This is one of our little rabbit trails that we're going to take here uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But I would like just briefly to talk about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Because Peter here is going to be speaking in Jerusalem to a group of Jewish people. And their knowledge of what this spirit is, is important. So in the Old Testament, uh, where we see the Holy Spirit active, the Holy Spirit is active in creation. It says in, in the beginning in Genesis that the Spirit hovered over the waters. We see God's breath being used. Remember, we said the Spirit is often associated with either wind or breath or movement or energy. Also in Genesis, we see Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. At the end of the book of Genesis, there's an individual, his name is Joseph. Joseph is given a tremendous power. So much of a tremendous power that this power actually gets him out of jail. God causes a dream to come to Pharaoh. After a series of dreams that have come to other individuals. But Joseph is able to interpret it. And time and time again, what does Joseph do? Does Joseph say, oh, I'm so smart. I can figure out dreams. No. Joseph makes it a point and says the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. When Pharaoh asks him and says, I know that you can interpret dreams because of what I've heard. Joseph says, it's not in me. It's in God. When Joseph is done interpreting the dream, Pharaoh says there is a divine spirit in Joseph. The Holy Spirit supernaturally gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. Uh, in the book of Exodus, there's an individual who's a craftsman. He's an artist. And God has commissioned this artist to uh, create great works for the tabernacle. And the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit in wisdom, in knowledge, in understanding. And guess what else he's filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding in? Craftsmanship. Craftsmanship's a spiritual gift, apparently. No, um, but for, for this individual, it was. The Spirit filled David. The Spirit filled Moses spirit even filled Saul and Solomon and Samson. It also filled the prophets. Isaiah is filled with the spirit. 
Jonah is filled with the Spirit. They are given the utterances to say the words of God. Just like the disciples here. The unique thing about the Spirit in the Old Testament is it was given to individuals for a specific purpose, for a specific time. Sometimes in the nation of Israel, it was given to more than one person at a time. But never more than two or three at a time were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. David also tells us something interesting in the Psalms. He says that the Spirit can be taken away. Saul experienced the fact that the Spirit was taken away from him. The Spirit is active in the Old Testament. But here we have something special. Verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of God filled them. God himself came in a mighty rushing wind in the form of tongues of fire and rested on not one, not two, not three, but at least 11 individuals all in the same place. At least 11. Maybe, maybe as much as 120. I want you to get a picture of that power. The power that's in that house. The power of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling these individuals. This is huge. This is beyond huge. Words can't describe what is happening inside this house. This is not a new concept that the, uh, the Holy Spirit would fill individuals so that they would be able to speak the word of God. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, turn with me there. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21. It reads, He was foreknown before the foundations of the world were made, was made manifest in the times for the sake of you. For through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Your faith and hope... Um, it's actually not the right verse. I'm in First Peter. That's why I'm not in the right verse. There we go. First uh, Peter, or Second Peter. I'm sorry. Second Peter, chapter two. I read First Peter. My fault. Um, chapter two, verses twenty and twenty-one. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God. As they were carried, as were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy of the Old Testament came by the striving of man. What Peter is about to do here is not by Peter's intellect, by his power, by his might. He's being carried along here by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 in um, Acts chapter 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men of every nation under heaven. And the sound, and at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. 
because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So I want you to, I want you to get the picture here. Okay? There's a mighty sound of wind. Following that mighty sound of wind, there's a commotion in the streets. And people start to come out. Hearing this commotion, they start to see individuals. Individuals are speaking words, but they are understanding them in their native tongue. This is strange. This is weird. This is scary. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, these, uh, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? What do you think Scripture means or this crowd means here by calling them Galileans? Well, first and foremost, he's saying, listen, they don't speak my language in Galilee. Secondly, there's another connotation here. The connotation is, what are a bunch of stupid fishermen doing speaking my language? What could it possibly benefit them to learn my language? Much in the same way that my friends from a different culture were probably looking at this tall, skinny, white, stupid car salesman. Why does this car salesman know my language? These people are looking and they're saying, why do these fishermen know my language? It is confusing to them. It is frustrating to them. Verse 8, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue or language? The Holy Spirit is supernaturally affecting the physiology of the crowd by allowing the words the disciples are saying to be interpreted by individuals in the crowd in their native tongues. The Holy Spirit, our second point, has the power to interpret the words of God. We just read that in 2 Peter. Interpretation does not belong to man. Interpretation belongs to the Spirit. Interpretation belongs to God. We are quickly realizing here that as believers in Christ, it is not by our striving that God accomplishes His will. It is by the movement of the Holy Spirit the sealing power of the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. This tells us something very interesting about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit has the ability to affect the hearts of people that have not yet come to Christ. This crowd is hearing the words that were given by the Holy Spirit, spoken by Peter, and they're hearing them in their native tongue. Peter is not using some trick. It is the working and the movement of the Holy Spirit on 
the crowd. God promises that his word will not return to him void. The power of the word, the interpretation of the spirit, the power of Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the word in the flesh. He literally is scripture. The spirit gives us the ability to understand that scripture and then gives us the power to speak that scripture. Remember, notice what I said here. I said, we speak the scriptures. There are a whole bunch of other uh, theories and philosophies out there. But the only thing, and we're going to talk about this more, the only thing that we are empowered to do is speak what the Spirit has witnessed. Verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites... And residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phygra, and uh, Pamphylia, um, uh, Egypt, and see, English is hard, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. The Spirit is giving us a picture of where all of these individuals are from that are coming to the city. They're coming from as far northeast as Rome, as far southeast as Libya in in Africa, as far south as Egypt, as far west, sorry, I'll go this way, west as Iran, and as far north as Turkey. These are individuals from all over two different empires coming together here. And then verse 11 says both Jew and proselyte. Proselyte. What is a proselyte? Somebody tell me what a proselyte is. A proselyte is one who comes. That's the basic meaning of it. It is someone who has converted to Judaism, but they were required to come to the Jewish faith. See, in Christianity and by the power of the Spirit and by the command of the Great Commission, we are commanded to go to the nations. But in Judaism, people were required to come. Well, how were they supposed to come? What was the mission of the Jewish people? Well, the mission of the Jewish people was simple. They were to be God's what people? Chosen people. Unfortunately, over the years, they would twist and construe that phrase to be something completely different than what God intended it to be. The mission of the Jews was to be a light to all nations so that all nations may come to the knowledge of Yahweh, of the one true God, of the great I am. That was their job. That was their mission. Other nations were to look at them and say, wow, that's different. I want that. I want to be a part of that. There's several verses in scripture that talk to this. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, he says, you were meant to be a light to the world in chapter 49 of Isaiah. 
Listen to, listen to uh, Zechariah. Is it Zechariah? I'm way ahead in my notes. I'm sorry. I, I always jump ahead here. Uh, Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 8. Turn there with me. Zephaniah chapter 8. If you can find Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 8. If you can't find it, that's okay. I'm going to read it here as soon as I get there. Habakkuk. Zephaniah, man, this is a this is a this is a slammer of a book. If you get a chance to read Zephaniah this week, please read Zephaniah. I hope that chapter eight and verse twenty just gives you a little glimpse of. Uh, oh, there is no chapter eight in Zephaniah. Darn it! I have to read Zephaniah. I was in Zechariah. It's Zechariah. I'm sorry. Zechariah is easier to find. Zechariah chapter eight, verses twenty through twenty-three. I was all over the place. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many people and strong nations shall come to see the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from the nations, from every tongue, shall take hold of a robe, of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. This was Israel's mission, to be so much of a light that people would see them. People would see their testimony, and they would grab them by the robe and say, please take me with you, because you have God. There were individuals in Israel who accomplished this. I would say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, causing kings of nations to look at them and say, there is something different. Joseph He looked at him and said, there is something different. But why? Why didn't Israel accomplish their mission? Because they perverted it. Israel would get so encompassed in being the chosen people of God that they imploded. They didn't just implode. Do a play on words. They imploded. They got so focused on being the chosen people of God and they got so inwardly focused that the other nations wanted nothing to do with them. They wanted nothing to do with Israel because Israel was separate. God wanted them to be a light to all nations. Now the Holy Spirit through Peter is going to let the crowd know where it stands. And we're going to kind of go quickly through this because it's not often that you get to preach a sermon of someone speaking a sermon. Um, and uh, Peter does a great job of, of uh, the, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through him and explain the scriptures. But 
Uh, actually, let's go back to verse uh, 13. Um, verse 13, I'm not going to go back in my notes. I'm going to paraphrase. But basically, there's some individuals who are saying, how can this be? How is this possible? Verse 13, there's other individuals who say that the disciples are drunk. And that's how they're able to speak another language. Which is a common occurrence. I mean, no more, listen, no more ridiculous or less common than the Holy Spirit indwelling individuals and giving them the power. Right? But people believe this lie. That you could get inebriated and basically fumble your way through a language. I mean, that's like saying that, uh, you know, if I just threw all the pieces of a watch in a bag and shook it up and then reached in the bag and pulled out, I would, I'd have a complete watch. I mean, nobody ever uses, you know, an, an argument like that nowadays, right? I mean, nobody would believe that, you know, a giant explosion could cause... Uh, no, we're not going to get into that. Um, but this is the argument. They're getting lucky. They're getting lucky. Peter's going to correct this through the Holy Spirit. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give an ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour. It's too early. It's too early in the day for these individuals to be drunk. But this is what was said through the utterances of the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and the signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Peter here using the words of Joel explains a few key elements to what is happening with the Spirit. Peter makes a distinction here as Joel does. There are the sons of God who receive the Spirit and then there are the servants of who receive the Spirit. He's very clear in saying it will be poured out, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh in the last days. I think this is the reason why why the Holy Spirit enables Peter to make a distinction between Jews and proselytes. Proselytes by heritage were not Jewish. They had to come to become Jewish by heritage. Joel here is speaking from a heritage background. The sons and daughters. But then there are servants. All flesh. He also makes it a point to use a term. He says, in the last days. Peter's making a statement here through the Holy Spirit. He's telling the crowd, this is Day one of the last days. There is something exciting 
there is something different that is starting right now. And this movement of the Holy Spirit, which started with a rushing wind, which turned into fire, is going to grow. So in the last days, the Spirit will do so much more. He also makes it a point in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our third point here is that the Holy Spirit gives inclusion into the body of Christ. Inclusion into the body of Christ. Four both Jews and Gentiles. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The last little jab that Peter gives here, that the Holy Spirit gives to the crowd, is he's basically saying, crowd, this is where we are. This is what you are seeing. The manifestation of the Spirit in fleshly beings. This is where we are. But you're not there yet. The Spirit is working in you so that you can hear. You can hear. The Spirit is beginning to plow the ground of your heart, to soften your heart so you can hear. But you're not there yet. We're here. And this is where he makes his transition. Men of Israel, verse 22, men of Israel, hear the words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter presents the gospel through the Holy Spirit right here. And he hits them point by point. One of the phrases he uses, he says, that God did through him in your midst. He's basically saying to them at that point, you missed it. Not only did you miss out on your mission, you missed the Messiah. You were so inwardly focused. Four points he makes. Point number one that that Peter makes here through the Holy Spirit. This was God's plan. He says it was predetermined. It It was done with the foreknowledge of God. This was not something that caught God by surprise. That he would send his son, that he would be crucified and killed, but that death could not hold him. This was in God's plan. Point number two, you have been found guilty of murder. And not just murder. Murdering the Messiah. Point three, Jesus, the innocent, perfect sacrifice, died at your hands. 
But here's the good news. Number four, Jesus and God are stronger than death. Wow. Could you imagine an individual being uh, put on trial for murder and they know they've done it? They saw the person die and they're being put on trial and all of a sudden that individual walks into the courtroom in the back. What would that cause the court to do? I mean, you'd be in an uproar. You'd be like, well, I guess, I guess he couldn't have killed him. I guess it wasn't, it wasn't possible. This is the good news Peter gives. He says, even though you committed this heinous act, even though you were capable of such evil, God's goodness is so much greater than your evil. This is a great message for all of us. See, all of us are guilty. It wasn't just the Jews that crucified Jesus. It wasn't just those men in Jerusalem who put him on the cross. It wasn't just the Romans who crucified Jesus. It was our sin. Our sin put him on the cross. The truth is we could all be in the crowd. We could all be standing there. Verse 25, then David uh, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you have not abandoned my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Peter reveals a mystery here. A mystery that has probably plagued the Jewish people for years. How is David saying this? My soul will not see corruption. My soul will not see Hades. You'll rescue your Holy One from corruption. Peter addresses this in verse 29. He says, brothers, may I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. How could David be saying this about himself? He's dead. He died. The corruption that he's talking about here is the decomposition of the body. He says, you know what? If you want to see David, we know where his tomb is. You go roll that stone away. You're going to find bones. You're going to find David. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. I was going to save this for the end, but we're running short on time here. We are all witnesses, he says. What Peter is preaching through the Holy Spirit is what Peter and the Jews have witnessed happen here 50 days ago. That Christ died, he was resurrected. They are witnesses. This is what they are given the authority to preach. The fact that they have witnessed this. The issue that you and I have is that in our flesh, by ourselves. We have not witnessed it. 
John, we, we shared on, on Easter morning. John says, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Part of that blessing is that if we know Jesus as our personal Savior, we are given the helper. We are given the teacher. And guess what? The helper and the teacher witnessed these things. And we are given the witness. We now have the power to preach Christ crucified and resurrected because we have the witness inside of us. We have the word of God which the witness will teach us. We have not seen. The Holy Spirit has. Verse 33, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that this yourself you, you uh, this I'm sorry that you yourselves are seeing and hearing Peter turns it around on them he says we have witnessed this but now you're witnessing something else you are witnessing the holy spirit being poured out for david did not ascend to heaven but he himself says the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool let the house of israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Listen, Jesus is exalted and the Savior of the world. He is seated at the right hand of God. The sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, death and sin could not hold him. And he has been exalted above all else. A crowd, you still stand guilty. Now, when they heard this, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit, our next point, point four, the Holy Spirit has the power to indict and convict. The Holy Spirit has the power to indict and convict. There is a difference between indictment and conviction. The indictment is the charge that is brought against you. The charge that Peter has brought against the crowd here is that they have crucified the Savior. The conviction is coming in their hearts where they know now they are guilty of a heinous crime. And they respond, continuing in verse 37. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is true conviction. They are cut to their hearts. The Holy Spirit has now not only plowed the ground and softened their hearts, he's broken. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. This is not only great news for the crowd. This is great news for us. This was not a one-time event 
that the Holy Spirit was poured out. This is the means by which God is going to accomplish his will for the foreseeable future until the great day of the Lord when he returns. The Spirit would continue to be poured out on everyone who believes in Christ. Our fifth and final point, the Holy Spirit has the power to indwell and empower believers. The Holy Spirit has the power to indwell and empower believers. I'm going to read verse 39 again. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Everyone who Peter preaches to? No. Everyone who Pastor Stephen preaches to? No. Everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. The Spirit, the Father, the Son working together to redeem people. Not me, not you, not Peter. And then with many other words, he bore witness, verse 40, and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. And then verse 41, I couldn't even imagine this. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. All receiving the Holy Spirit. You should get chills. Not just one person, not just two people, not just 11, not just 120, three thousand indwelled with the Holy Spirit who has the power to inspire. Let's go over these again. He inspired the disciples with his word. He interpreted the words that were given uh, each one in his native tongue. He calls individuals to be included into the body of Christ. He has the power to indict the sinner and convict and he also has the power to indwell. Each one of these three thousand received this power. And this is the encouragement for us. The Spirit gives gifts. Galatians tells us about the, the gifts that the, uh, that the Spirit gives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. My encouragement to us today is it's not by your striving that we will accomplish the will of God. As we see here in this story, it wasn't by Peter's striving. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the teacher. When you read scripture, when you read the word of God, you're reading Jesus Christ manifest, but the Spirit is giving you the interpretation of that scripture. Does it always happen right away? No. But we petition. We ask. I've said this before. The Spirit is our spiritual antenna. It interprets the Word of God for us and changes our hearts. 
there is very little that we can do apart from the Spirit. It is a constant battle that we have. Our flesh is still real. Our flesh is still active. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Our will, what we want to have happen. My last encouragement to you. We have something special. We have something that the world does not have. So did Israel. Israel became very inwardly focused and they imploded. The Spirit gives us the power to go out. We do love the brothers. We love the fellowship that we can have with one another. The Bible says that the Spirit unites us in love. But guys, the world is dying. Will we go? Will we be led by the Spirit? Will we be inspired by the Spirit? Will we be empowered by the Spirit? This is what the Spirit did for the early disciples. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, there is so much here, um, so much that we did not even touch. Um, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you that it is not up to us, uh, Lord, to save ourselves. God, I pray as we leave this place, God, that we would be led by your spirit, that we would walk in your spirit, God. Lord, that we would not allow our flesh, the fact that we have a great gift, the fact that we are already um, in the process of being sanctified, that your Holy Spirit seals us till the day of our death or the day of your coming. That we would not rest on the fact that we are redeemed. Lord, but that you are calling all nations. Lord, that we are to be a light in a dark and dying world. God, it is not by our own striving. It is not by our own eloquence. It is not by our own words that others come to Christ. God, we have a great gift in this room for those of us who know Christ. Allow us to follow. In Jesus' name.